Welcome to another episode of Chris Reed's book. Welcome to this week's episode of Chris Reed's book. I'm Chris Pullman, your uh, podcast and book author. We'll go with that. This week I'm going to try and get three chapters of my second novel, uh, Martian Reporter, Humanity's New Hope, recorded. This is going to be about ten written pages. I'm going to try and get these three in because I'm actually doing this after work this Friday. So I have a little bit more time, and we'll see how that goes. The three chapters are Disturbing Reports, Next Millis Militis, and The Future and the Past. So let's get into Disturbing Reports. And another signature here, sir, Tim Zaid said, scrolling the document and pointing. Half a millennia of cuter computer advances and still we sign things, Tim mused as he placed two fingers on the signature block, the RFID implant in his fingers transmitting his signature. Indeed, sir, replied the aide, not seeing the humor in the statement. Will that be all? Tim asked his aide, a grin on his face. I believe I'm supposed to ask that, sir, the aide replied as he scrolled through the documents on the note tab, visually checking them one final time somewhat unnecessary since the document would check itself to make sure all the signature fields were filled in. Even so, the aide's meticulous nature was appreciated. Tim's mind began to wander over two disparate reports he had read. By themselves, they signaled nothing. One was a document detailing a hoarding of specific chemical compounds, hypodermic equipment, and various other miscellaneous lab equipment. To anyone else, the report would have been quite mundane. However, the same cache of supplies and equipment sat in a TDF underground lab not a thousand feet away from Tim's desk on Earth. Such a horde of materials screamed nanite replication to someone of Tim's knowledge. The aide confirmed all was in order as he left. Tim barely noticed the man's departure, though. His mind had already passed to another report. This one spoke of a request for 14 fit, strong young actors for extras roles in an action shoot. While not unusual for Mars, the shoot location did raise an eyebrow. The Olympus Mons commercial park. Not as a temporary set, but as the whole set. And it happened to be the same place the nanite production supplies had been shipped. Taken together, Along with inbound reports from Agent Lewis, Tim grew more concerned by the day. There just wasn't a lot he could do yet. Without further word from the primary agent on Mars, the censorship was blind. So to speak, anyway. They had troops, censors, on the ground, but not for the same purpose. This agent had kept tabs on unique occurrences on Mars as concerned TDF-related activities. Tim could order surveillance, even searches of the compound, 
but not without drawing attention and tipping his hand. He could feel the long plans closing together this time. Though Project Lewis had been triggered before, none of those times had gone as long or as deep. This time Agent Lewis had strong, not yet firm evidence that chaos truly had returned. There had been pretenders before. One had even been a woman claim, claiming to be chaos. But until Tim had real concrete evidence from either his secretive Mars agent or from Agent Lewis, the guise of the censorship had to be maintained at all costs. Even so... Krieger? Tim called to his aide over the intercom. Yes, sir. Would you bring in lists of our current weapons, munitions, and foodstuffs stores, as well as transport schedules of censor ships leaving for Mars? Tim requested. It will take me about an hour to pull the information, sir. There's a jam-up at the DOT servers today. Some green tech decided to do a software upgrade midweek. Didn't quite go as planned, Krieger replied. Tim raised an eyebrow, replying... An underground raid on one of our contraband shipments? Would be my guess, sir. Everyone's so wrapped up trying to fix it, along with bringing in outside text to square it's to square it ASAP, that it's a... it'd be ideal. Such things as contraband raids, Tim left to his section chiefs to coordinate with their undercover Atmo underground agents. After all, Tim couldn't run the whole censorship by himself anymore no matter how much Tanya claimed he did. Whenever you can, then, Tim replied. It was a gamble to start moving supplies, but one that might pay off. The next chapter, Nux Millis Militus. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming. Chaos said, addressing the 14 young, fit people sitting around the conference table. You'll have an opportunity today for lifetime employment. We simply need to run a few tests. These will include physical fitness, psychological evaluation, and a blood test. If any of you wish to leave now, you may. However, if you wish to continue, then follow me. Before Chaos could fully turn around, one of the men in the group piped up. Is there some sort of contract or release we need to sign? Without turning back around, Chaos replied, Oh no, there'll be no need for that. A glint both in his voice and in his eyes. He pushed open the conference room door leading to the warehouse. There, set up per his specifications, were lab stations for all 14 people. Lewis did well pre-screening the portfolios the agency sent over. All 14 entered the lab space. You'll undergo go the blood test first, Chaos said with a dismissive wave. It will be completed while the other tests are administered. If you pass all three, there will be inoculations we'll want you to undergo immediately. So, without further ado, Chaos said, nodding at the lab techs. These fourteen people were the closest, aside from actual bodyguards, that humanity could come to soldiers anymore. Such a thought caused Chaos never-ending frustration. Even though his long plan had largely succeeded, the government should have begun rebuilding a standing army by now. 
but every year such funds as would be necessary to do so were instead funneled into the Department of Censorship. A worthwhile venture for what it did in erasing James, Meng, Eric, and the rest from history, but still annoying in its funds diverting. Chaos observed each of the fourteen closely. A few were slightly off-balance, based on their psych evaluations. Of course, such character traits never bothered Chaos a great deal, for obvious reasons. All were extremely physically fit, as Chaos had requested, and, seeing their blood work, were the perfect blank slates. Once they were all reseated at their original lab stations, Chaos again addressed them. Well, you've all come through the tests with flying colors. I am proud to say that all of you are thus being offered a lifetime position, if you want it. That this is, though, your absolute last chance to walk away. A few of them looked around at each other, but none rose. One man, though, did speak. Sir, what exactly is the position you're offering all of us? Strong-willed, this one, Chaos thought to himself. Perhaps he will be my new primus inter pares. A bodyguards, soldiers, catalysts. More of them looked at each other. The door is still open if you wish to leave. Will we be signing contracts? The man asked again. Chaos smiled. After the inoculations, we'll worry about that. So... Anyone declining my offer? Everyone shook their heads. Wonderful! The lab assistants are now going to place a monitor on your wrists prior to the inoculation. It has caused reactions in some subjects. We simply want to monitor your vitals. The men and women obediently held out their arms as a device resembling a heart rate monitor was strapped on. Next, the lab assistants picked up two hyposprays. By the way... Chaos added, This will sting a bit. He nodded, and the assistants administered the first dose. Instinctively, all the recruits seized up, their eyes, eyes squeezing shut. They involuntarily convulsed and moaned in pain. A few rolled off of their exam tables. The assistants quickly moved in with the next hypo, injecting wherever they could. With that, there were true screams of pain. Raw, inhuman screams. Chaos began to chuckle. The wristbands did their work, activating once both the reagents and nanite slurry had circulated enough through the blood. One by one, the recruits' bodies went stiff, electrical current flowing through them. In his mind, Chaos could hear a voice railing against this archaic form of nanite bonding. If you wouldn't block my access to the full procedure and code, this wouldn't be necessary, he replied. The recruits slowly grew slack and ceased seizing. Their bonding with the nanites had been more complete than that of Chaos's original retinue of politicians. Even the least powerful politician would be excused from her duties if she was a complete drone. These fourteen soon to be Chaos's death commandos, his next millis militis, could be perfect drones and still function adequately. One by one, the commandos stood up, their gazes changing. They now stood stolid, passive in countenance and uncaring in appearance.
Chaos's eyes darkened, his pupils turning a deeper onyx black than Lewis had ever seen before. All fourteen commandos looked to him for instructions. The nanites had completed their preliminary work, changing the very foundation of these people. Chaos turned to the man who had kept piping up. What is your name? Reggie, the man replied tersely. No longer. You are Alpha. You are in command of this squad. Take them to the weapons range at the far end of the warehouse and begin calibration. Chaos had told them precious little, but the nanites now multiplying within them would momentarily be dense enough to begin uploading basic combat training to their minds. Unquestioningly, Alpha led the squad off to where Chaos had pointed. Remaining on the warehouse floor, Chaos watched and grinned as the lab equipment was dismantled and put away. Soon, the sound of rifle fire would fill the warehouse. Sweet, sweet sounds of battle. Lewis stood behind, beside Chaos. Sir, he said, tapping a notepad, the speaker has requested an audience. Chaos's eyes seemed to glint again. He was contrite. Respectful, sir. He's learning his place, then. <laughs> About what does he want to meet? Uh, my guess would have to be requests from the other day, sir. Government-sponsored lab space and all. Probably saying he can't make it happen. Oh, quite all right, my dear Lewis. As expected. It was merely a request to make the eventual reality easier for the other politicians to accept. Eventual reality, sir? Lewis. With my commandos, we now have what we need in order to assimilate more and more of the houses. Slowly we'll gain control, and so, slowly, my goals will become reality. Having the speaker introduce the idea to his peers now will make it seem natural later. All in good time, my dear Ka my dear Lewis, Chaos added, patting Lewis on the shoulder. He then headed down the warehouse toward the zap of rifle fire. Inwardly, Lewis shuddered knowing that it wouldn't be wise to do so where Chaos could see it. The stories passed down to him through his family from his namesake were enough to keep such actions under strict control. And now, finally, the future and the past. Yes, James, that's it. Feel the fabric of time and space. Feel its ebb and flow. Feel its rigidity and malleability. Meng was tapping Melinda's abilities to monitor Jim's progress. It was a unique sensation, being able to feel the ability being pulled from within himself and turned back upon his own mind. He reached forward with his mind, seeking the veil. Cautiously, James, the veil is to be respected. He remembered, as Meng did, what happened when last Meng had pierced it, when he had reached beyond mere observation and into the realm of reality. Time and space so closely intertwined. To affect one is to affect the other. Thus we tread cautiously. 
Meng, Jim said, still probing the darkness. How close does time fall upon itself? Jim could feel Meng's smile. Good question. Time is both a continuum and not. It is unidirectional and omnidirectional. From any point, every other point is connected. Thus, from any point, we can see all points in all places. You and I are more than lenses. We are telescopes, able to see places far distant in minute detail. Though, for my own part, I rarely search the past. History, after all, is normally well recorded. So, you were never a voyeur into the past, Jim asked, allowing his mind to float freely through time. So much Eric had been subtly trying to tell him had, after James's various training sessions, become second nature. Relax, and allow the experience to come on its own. Nope. Could have, but never saw a need. Plus, we can only alter the future. What use is there in gazing so deeply into the past? Plus, with as many minds as you have at your disposal, the lifetimes of experience and knowledge, what would you gain from doing so? Meng had a point. Jim felt his mind being drawn towards something. Wait! James, don't! Meng began to warn, but it was too late. Jim knew immediately what he had stumbled into, that which Meng referred to as a train station. It was a nexus in time. Suddenly, before his mind, exploded possibilities, futures that might be, a multitude of them. Around him echoed, This is not any nexus, James. It is you. It is the most dangerous nexus. You can lose yourself in it if you aren't careful. There are just too many possible tracks. He could see them unfolding before him. More and more of them, the longer he looked. James, no! I barely came away when I did that. There are two things I have that you didn't, my friend. Your experience as a guide and James's ability as a filter, Jim responded calmly. Indeed, not only was he seeing every possible time strand as it passed before his mind, but also every detail of every strand. And even as he did... He knew that as he meditated later, he would get yet more detail out of each. He knew it intuitively, even as he saw it happen. Time was opening before him, showing him where every choice he could ever make would lead him. Every choice was one individual strand, and every strand split into infinitely more. This nexus was a flower opening around him, the tentacles of a jellyfish passing before his eyes. Jim! Meng's voice echoed again, full of concern. Slowly, James Hall turned his mind, drifting it through the field of time. Each strand he passed through yielded an explosion of vision memory futures, too many to aptly describe. It was seeing an entire multi-part, epic-length movie all at once. A movement reborn, ground swells of political power, Unexpected allies and foes, battles fought and lost, dead 
and death, but also time strands full of burgeoning life. Slowly Jim encountered fewer and fewer strands. He was moving out of the field. I'm almost out, my friend. Fear not, Jim said. He knew suddenly that he had passed out of the field away from the Nexus. What is that? Meng asked, his voice losing its echo. Without looking directly at it, Jim could see what he meant. That's the Nexus explosion. What do you mean? You only ever viewed a Nexus from its beginning, only sensing its potential futures. Other than that first time, I passed through it, then orthogonally out of the field. This is what you'd call its side. There, flowing from the Nexus, was a bouquet of threads exiting in all directions, all lengths, all weaving and undulating as if moved by a gentle breeze. Along their most trans, almost translucent lengths flowed flashes of multicolored light. By the gods, Meng muttered. Snapping his eyes back open, Jim once more was sitting next to Meng, legs crossed in a meditation posture. They were in Meng's meditation chamber. I've done something you were never able to, Jim said to Meng. It was not a question. Yes, you did, Meng affirmed. One of the time strands freshly flashed before Jim. I must go. The woman from Earth will be calling presently. Tamara, Meng said, tapping his mind. Tammy, Brewer, Jim replied. Once again, he opened his eyes, this time, into the physical world. Waking up after waking up was still disconcerting. It'll get better, said a voice from within. Jim was sitting in front of the same secreted console as the previous day. Just as he expected, the monitor came to life. Hello, Tammy, Jim said. Her mind had instantly shut itself when the screen flickered to life. Even so, something in her features betrayed her surprise at being addressed by name. You are to be tested, she said flatly. You can't tell me the tests, Jim replied. That itself is part of the test. If you are who you say, it should pose no obstacle for you. Well, Tammy. Let's get started. They sat there in silence for a few moments. Before Tammy had finished her admonition, Jim already knew the game. To any observer today, it would appear that nothing was going on. To him, however, his first test was an open book. Morse code, outdated by hundreds of years. But that was just the beginning. Only communicating the instructions. Silent communication. Reply likewise, but in a different method. Jim brought his hand to his face and stroked his chin one finger, then gripped, running a finger along his jaw. He yawned, then rubbed his nose, but all in specific ways. It was his turn to challenge. He demanded response in American Sign Language, another form of silent communication made obsolete by current medical implants. Keeping the game alive, 
Tammy had him reply one last time in a version of flag semaphore using his hands. Once he had, she broke her silence. Very well so far, Mr. Hall. Thank you, Tammy. I'm sure you would have impressed Eric Pullman's brother, the student of language that he was. <laughs> we both know that Eric had no brother aside from James Christopher and Adam Green. It was him, however, who studied language as a hobby. Then I must simply have my history wrong. What languages did he study? Tammy asked. When? Jim asked back. On Earth or here on Mars? It's not a tough question, Mr. Hall. Oh, but it is, Tammy, for on Earth he was only able to learn Spanish, French, German, Italian, Japanese, Mandarin, and Hmong. After coming here, however, he learned the rest. Which rest? Tammy asked, her head turned almost imperceptibly to the side. All other languages, Jam Jim replied in Cherokee. In Hebrew, he added, from within him and around him, he taught himself every language available. Then in Zulu, some yet recently, and others long dead. Tammy's eyes shifted focus a mere millimeter off center, enough to tell him someone else was with her, and that she could not independently understand or verify what Jim had said. He knew Tammy felt the intrusion, but they both knew that knowledge came a split second too late. Hello, Nick, Jim said. Before you go being harsh on Tammy, she did give away your presence. But I would have felt it sooner or later anyway. Interesting that you would have, basically, an underling conducting this interview, Jim said for Nick's benefit, probing his mind yet further. Jim found something confusing, something he never expected to find as truth before meeting Eric. You're a section chief, Nick. How did you keep such a thing a secret for so long? The shot widened as Nick adjusted the camera, coming to sit next to Tammy. His hair betrayed the years his face did not. His countenance carried that air of authority and power, one bred from a lifetime of weighty responsibilities and hidden secrets. Hello, James, he said. You're a Wisconsinite, Jim asked. I just haven't been able to get rid of the entire accent. More than that, though, isn't it? You're from Sheboygan County. If I had to guess, Sheboygan Falls. Very observant, Jim. What else can you tell about me? As Tammy can attest, based on her continual attempts to block me, anything I want, to a point. You've been trained with a defensive mind. There's a vault within it that I can't open. Within the vault lies knowledge. Within knowledge, truth. Nick smiled at the illusion. His face betrayed what his mind did not. It seems we'll have to trust each other, Jim. Though more I than you. Indeed, Jim said as he withdrew from Nick's mind. Tammy leaned forward slightly the excessive exertion she had been pushing her mind to, showing. Do you have many natural telepaths in your employ, Nick, or is Tammy special? She is special, James, 
though not unique. So Stas accomplished what they set out to after all, Jim replied. Nick grinned as he said, I have not heard that name in some time, Jim. Explain to me how you know it. Tapping his head, Jim replied, They're all up here, Nick. You must at least suspect that by now. All the progenitors. All up here. Some worked for Stas for a time, others for Nara Defense. At least some of those were aware of Stas' early programs to enhance via Nara's nanite tech. Nick's smile broadened slightly. So what Tammy felt is true, what you had claimed. You are the last. I am. The responsibility for the long plan was passed to me by Eric Poland himself. His memories urged me to discover this console. And so all of you, all of us, James, <laughs> come, come, Nick. You were just the last piece in this puzzle. I've known that Eric was setting things in motion, things he kept secret, even from himself. Plans he could trigger when the time was right except he ran out of time before he could call on the very government agency he had a hand in creating. Tell me, Nick, are you a descendant of the original TDF ghosts? Nick, nodding subtly, said, You can stop, James. I'm convinced enough now. Some very important people are going to want to talk to you. Jim suddenly saw something he had not before. You're a seer. Indeed I am, James. Not as good as Meng Tao, but decent as far as such things can be measured. I need a path before I can see where it goes. From his own notes, I know that Meng didn't. But I digress. You've set something in motion, Jim. The trigger has been pulled. We'll come to you. As you're aware... The reach and means of the Department of Censorship are large indeed. And that was the last chapter that I'll be recording today. So, we read Disturbing Reports, Nex Melis Militis, and The Future and the Past. In case this is your first time listening to this podcast of mine, thank you, first of all. Uh, this is the podcast where I read chapters out of my novels to make them more accessible to you, the listener slash reader. I appreciate you tuning in to get a sense of this book from me and maybe to see um, what kind of vocal work I can do. I'm not sure. Hopefully, uh, the voices I tried to do during this episode helped you differentiate the different characters. That was the intent, at least. Uh, I'm having to invent some new voices, and that's kind of stretching my abilities. So hopefully the new voices were still sufficient for you. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear what led up to it or what comes after it, you can do so by either going onto iTunes or your favorite podcast application or Stitcher Radio and searching for Chris Reed's book. You can also search by my name, Chris Pullman, that's P-O-H-L-M-A-N, and then uh, 
Chris Reed's book, and probably Whiskey and Mash will come up. Those are two of my podcasts. You can also head over to my website, narclaninc.com. That's N-A-R-C-L-A-N-I-N-C.com. Go to the podcast section of the page, the uh, Chris Reed's book page, and there on the page are all the MP3s of all of my episodes from both my first book and from this one. So I encourage you to go over there. You can download those to an MP3 device or stream them right off the web page. Also on that page are links to my author Twitter, my author Facebook, and one where you can email me directly. Thank you very much for tuning in again. And uh, if you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoyed listening to my book here, and you want to help support me in making more episodes and writing more, the best way you can do that is to share this podcast or just my writings in general. Uh, the first book is available as ebooks or as a print book if you really want it. The ebooks will be free. The print book uh, you would have to buy at cost from lulu.com. I think it's about $11. I'm not making any profit on that. I'm just trying to get my name out there as an author. But if you want to help me spread this podcast, my books, get it out there. Share it with a friend, a family member, somebody you think would enjoy reading, listening to my science fiction. I'm also, once I get done with this book, I'll be moving on to my first fantasy novel. And all my stories right now exist in the same universe. And they will come together at some point. Uh, if you pay close enough attention, you'll see where, because I'm kind of including that right off the bat. But you have to pay attention for that. Um, but what I would really like, uh, this week I'll ask you this one thing. If you're listening to this episode, let me know what you think. Please, go out to Twitter, go out to Facebook, email me directly. Let me know what you think of the story plot of the narration of any of it let me know that you're out there i would love to hear from you until next time thanks for tuning in have a great week or weekend or whenever you're listening to this have a great until i see you again <laughs> bye